Welcome to this podcast for the Clinical Teacher, recorded in Melbourne, Australia, on the 11th of October 2010. I'm Steve Trumbull, and I'm speaking to Professor Bob McKinley from Keele University in the United Kingdom. Bob and his colleagues Valerie Williams and Catherine Stevenson have an article in September's issue of the Clinical Teacher entitled Improving the Content of Feedback. Hello, Bob. Now, Bob, I've always felt that feedback was the clinical teacher's greatest teaching tool, and yet you state that British medical students are far less satisfied with the feedback that they receive compared to their nursing student peers. Why do you think this is? Well, this is absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm not particularly sure why. Um, We do know that our medical students are particularly focused on feedback from and feedback on their examination performances. And whether this is exclusively about feedback on exam performance or is about more general feedback, I don't think we could be completely clear. Do you mean examination, examination performance as in clinical examinations or as in uh, uh, summative examinations? As in our summative uh, pass-fail progression examinations. Yes, I see what you mean. Um, but that begs the question uh, of why there is this difference. You know, is it because our nursing colleagues, our nursing teachers, do it better than we do? Or is it that nurses are recognize feedback better when it's given? Nursing students recognize feedback better when it's given? Uh, or whether, possibly, are nurse, nurse, nursing students less exam-focused than medical students? It's just one of those differences which could be a fruitful area for inquiry. Well, one issue that you do raise in your article is about whether we've paid too much attention to the process of giving feedback rather than to the actual content. Surely the content is what the learner would be most interested in rather than the way it's delivered. Um, yeah, I agree completely. And that was the, the driver for the article. Yes, yes. And not that the way it's delivered is, is, isn't important, of course, but... Uh, one of the issues you raise in the article is the lack of a very clear definition, and you've actually proposed uh, Van der Ritter's definition from uh, the Netherlands a year or two back, uh, which basically says that feedback is specific information about the comparison between trainees' observed performance and a standard given with the intent to improve the trainees' performance. What do you see as the really crucial elements of that definition? The, well, the, in the definition, the, the bits that are important, I think, first of all, are the standard or the target that students are trying to reach. And I think that that standard should be open and explicit and shared so that there's, there's no secret standard that the student is trying to reach. The second thing is, I think, is that the, observe, uh, the performance is closely observed. And I can't stress the closely observed uh, strongly enough that observation isn't casually sort of standing by, but it needs to be an active intellectual process. I think then we need to get on to feedback, and the feedback is about very much about improvement rather than blame. And finally, honesty is very, very important. So that the sorry? So is is the close observation to do with giving the learners some really credible data with which to get insight to their performance? It's about the well it's about the credibility of data, but it's also about observing exactly what and what did not happen during the, the encounter. Uh, it's very easy to assume that something was done when perhaps it wasn't done. Or it's very important to, when you're giving the students, uh, giving the student feedback, that you can actually go to the point and say, now, do you remember when and, 
be able to pick out examples from the encounter to talk about. So the feedback is closely grounded in the student's performance, and you can't achieve that without very close observation of what happens. I see, and and that certainly is the uh, part of the framework that we'll discuss in a moment that's within your article yeah. about the five steps. Uh, but you were just saying about honesty as well. Obviously, honesty is a very important part. Absolutely, that you need to be honest about strengths, but you also need to be honest with students who still have sometimes a long way to travel before they can they can consider themselves competent. Yes, and and in those five steps that you list in the article, which is really very useful. Uh, the first one you say, what was performed well? And talking about honesty, about the good things, surely students are getting a little bit cynical about uh, the old hamburger model of feedback, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the good stuff, in that in that order? Um, yes, they are, and I can understand why. But the flip side I find it, is that I find it fascinating when you ask a student what they thought they did well. They have great difficulty identifying the things that they did well. So and I, th- I think it's very important that when, you try, when you're talking about improvement is that you're building from strength and that the student knows where their strengths lie. And they're quite often surprised where you are, what you describe as being a strength. Yes, and so then that takes us to the second step of your system, which would be to ask them what could be performed or ask the, the teacher asks him or herself what could be performed differently. Now, obviously, that's seeking improvement, um, can we say what could be performed better or is it really just doing something differently? We could, but I prefer the sort of the to do it differently is about change. And it's all about doing something different tomorrow that will make your performance better. And I prefer the 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 spirit of change that performed differently and encompasses. Okay, so the focus is on doing something differently. The outcome would be that it's better, but it's taking some of the focus off just being better to actually think about doing things differently. That does make sense. The third step then really relates to what you were mentioning before about how it's difficult to spot things that weren't there, the sins of omission, as you put it in your article. The third step being, uh, well, what step or steps were missed out? Um, I mean, how does that actually help the clinical teacher, do you think, to, to actively think about that? Well, so my personal belief is that good medicine, being a good clinician, is about doing the simple things well every time. And unless you try to inculcate that habit in your students, you've, you have missed the trick. You're actually letting your students down. And it's very easy to miss something that didn't happen, whether the student, for example, didn't fully clarify the presenting complaint. And that lack of clarification creates if things go wrong later in the in the uh, encounter, and you need to be very active and very involved in, in the observation to see that that didn't happen. I see. So it's the active discipline of actually thinking what wasn't there, not just what was. I can see that it would yeah. be easier to have recognised things that you saw rather than what wasn't there. Um, and then that takes us on to the next step about the priority for improvement. Having seen what was performed well, what could be performed differently. What steps were missed out, then what is the priority for improvement? I've always found that very difficult. I mean, do you go for the low-hanging fruit, the things that are likely to yield rapid improvement, or do you go for the more critical things that you really have to focus on in order to avoid disaster? How does a clinical teacher decide priority? Well, it's very, well, this is dependent on context. 
if you've got a, if you're in the continuing educational relationship, it actually becomes less, less important that you can always come back to something tomorrow. If there's a one, a one piece or a single encounter, it becomes much more important. My, my own guiding principle is to try and identify the thing which, if the student book could change it, would make the biggest impact on their, on, on their performance tomorrow. Yes, well, that makes Some, a lot of sense. Sometimes it's about strengthening foundations, but weak foundations always have, a, uh, always, always build a weak structure and get the foundations right. Sometimes it's about uh, identifying a root cause, uh, something which happened earlier in the, the encounter which has knock-on effect. Occasionally, it's the single big thing, it's the low-hanging fruit. Mm. But I think this is a judgment for the teacher to make. Yes, yes, and uh, in partnership with the student, because then that leads on to the final step, which is about uh, uh, actions, uh, actions that could actually bring about that change. And uh, your final step is what must the learner do to make this improvement. So that's really, I gather, about the clinical teacher helping the learner define some action, not just being presented with a problem, but actually working together to find some resolution of that. It's absolutely about the student knowing what he or she can do tomorrow morning to make them better at this thing that you were doing today. Right. Well, Bob, I don't think we can ever hear enough about feedback and uh, ways of doing it better. Uh, it is something that around the world we hear back from our students. They either don't recognise it or don't recognise it as being good when it happens. Uh, and so I think this uh, this article really does give uh, some very good ideas about how to implement this approach uh, in your own context. So. Thank you for providing us with the article and also for recording this podcast. Thank you very much.